0: if there's one thing I know about it's clangers unfortunately I was always biting off more than I could chew thinking it's on when it's definitely not ripping that 45 giving it a crack and often it was an absolute disaster the good news is if your local club has had a recent clanger or challenge then you can win up to $15,000 through the Amy Clangers for Good competition in 100 words or less tell us how Amy can help your club bounce back from a recent challenge enter now at amy.com.au forward slash clangers for good that's amy.com G'day guys, welcome back to the show this week, an incredible guest, super, super lucky to get this man in, he's in such big demand, and uh... To be honest, always been someone that I've wanted to get on the show and um, and tell his story because I think it's an incredible one. That you will find out today, that's for sure. Nick Maxwell. Obviously, Premiership Captain of Collingwood back in 2010. This guy has done it the hard way. You will be amazed at his story and he's just never-say-die attitude. It's, um, it's actually pretty incredible and very inspiring. So I'm sure you'll love it and you'll get a lot out of it. From starting his footy days back in Geelong, missing out on X amount of drafts, X amount of clubs, went and played VFL and just never, ever gave in when he got his chance for the pies. He found his way to get into the team. Team, go through all this adversity and then find his way to be a premiership captain at the end of the day, which is, which is absolutely unbelievable. I think that the one thing that sort of not surprised me, but I suppose I just didn't know, is Nick Maxwell is just one of those teammates that, that is first picked when you play, not on skill not on their game knowledge, but just you get there and they just absolutely give it their all and they leave nothing out there. And it's shown now what he's been able to do post-footy. He's got NJM Consulting, where he goes to corporates and, and talks about leadership. He he went up to the Giants and did some leadership coaching up there. Then he went and did some stuff with Craig Bellamy at Melbourne Storm. And now he's back at Collingwood doing a bit of a GM role with a bit of list management and, and leadership, all sort of intertwined into one. But um, yeah, he's one of those guys that's just extremely impressive and and someone that you really want to work hard for. So pretty pumped to have him on the show. Couldn't be happier. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. So uh, enjoy. Hey, and before we get into it, a big, big thank you for everyone of the last few weeks who has given a, a rating on Spotify or on iTunes and followed and given um, reviews. It has honestly helped so much. And um, yeah, I really do appreciate it. If you haven't already, it'd be incredible if you could. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much. Elise. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Many ways, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Tears, Strength. I'm like, I run. She's like, yeah. everyone runs. I'm like, but does everyone go to Next. the Olympics? <laughs> They're sitting there meditating going, Oh my God, I think I'm meditating. How do like, this? Is I'm meditating. It's like, <laughs> I had
1: a Wu-Tang call. I was like, yo, Dylan, thanks for getting us in. Just love it's it. It's knuckle puck
0: time. Yeah. It's like, it's like,
1: <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review.
0: Maxi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, mate. Mate, it's, um, it's an honour to have you on. It's a privilege. It's been a long time in the making. You're a very busy man, doing plenty <laughs> at the Pies. Um, we touched base late last year and finally get uh, time for a chat.
1: It's good to be here. Yeah, We've got uh, some new coaches and some new staff, mate. So it's been uh, pretty hectic, but um, throw in all the, all the COVID stuff with people missing here and there and then you've got
0: to do step in for them. But uh, it's good to be here and have a chat. Mate, it's, um, I actually do run clubs on in the mornings at uh, the Holden Centre. Yep And I see the boys coming I saw my old coach there Brennan Bolton the other day Yes And um, I, it's fair to say I picked up the pace a little bit Just to show him <laughs> Just to show him That I was moving very well once I, once just, in I case, just in case still got it Just in case still got it You know yeah. just call up You Isn't, know what well, happens With these COVID things these days
1: And there's mid-season drafts And all that sort of stuff now. Yeah. So uh,
0: I'll keep it in mind yeah, please do. Um, actually, don't. No, really, <laughs> seriously, don't. How's it all going down there? Because you have had so much change. Like, there's been crazy change. Like, when you think about Collingwood, it's Eddie McGuire, it's, you know, Nathan Buckley, all these types of people. Yep. You've got a whole new sort of coaching um, staff, new president. I can't keep up. Yep. Did, is it yeah. Is the New president. Yeah, Jeff Brown's yeah. come in. Yep. So,
1: um, obviously, that's sort of the top end with the board, but... Probably for us, it's more the day to day. So Craig McCrae and Bolts and Lepper, um, and then we've got a range of other coaches coming in. So you would have spent some time with uh, my old mate Josh Fraser. Uh, Neville Jetta and then um, yeah some other sort of performance staff Jared Wade and a few others so it's been a lot and I guess for us because um, we've had a big list turnover over two years uh, it's just meant there's a lot to do um, and but everyone's jelling really well and we're trying to work out what it all looks like for us moving forward so that'll take time but um, we've got a really good group and they're
0: all hard workers so, so yeah it's, it's exciting. I was just thinking about it then I hadn't thought about this prior but like People like yourself um, and and Josh Fraser. Yep. And Josh Fraser because I've worked with him for you know a long time. He was my coach at um, in the VFL when I was playing down at Preston City Oval, and and to this day, honestly, I say this is one of my favorite coaches I've ever had. I think he was like the most relatable person. Yep. I think it's really easy for senior coaches to, well, you know, it's like a lot of senior coaches are these incredible players that become senior coaches, and I think from those positions, sometimes it's really hard to relate to the whole squad of forty four. Yeah. Where Josh Fraser. Um, and I've said this before, like the relatability that he had of being the number one pick, the top of his game – had some downfalls, he's just – he knows exactly where you're at at that time and he's able to, you know, repay that on the field as
1: well. Yeah, and he's also – I think in that role, that head of development role is so important at every club, in particular ours at the moment because we've had – I think we've got some – half the list is under 22 or something Mm. along those lines. So um, we need someone who can actually bring all the stuff we need from a professional standpoint but at the same time be able to relate to them all and and you need balance within your footy department. So you need someone to crack the whip when you need the whip cracked. Mm. You need someone to put your arm around them and – Everyone hasn't got every string to the bow. So if you, as long as you've got balance throughout it all, then you'll be okay. And he's obviously going to be a huge part of that.
0: And, and your role at the moment, because last year or the year before, you were doing some leadership stuff with with the boys, but now yep. you're looking after the department with Graham Wright?
1: Yeah, so I'm sort of, um, I guess he's 2IC, he's so I'm yep. um, GM of footy ops and performance, so basically just work across uh, almost everything apart from recruiting, um, so obviously Wright is the best in the business at that that's and uh, has done it for a long time, so uh, I'm fortunate to be learning from from someone like him and um, at the same time, being across a lot of different elements of, of the uh, footy department gives me a great understanding of what's going on and um, just try and solve
0: problems problems, like yeah. just little things that come up here and there and make sure that we they're acted on really quickly. So obviously, you've got your consulting business as well. You, yep. you do some stuff with, with leadership and businesses too, but is that where you always saw this transition come? And I, I know we'll get into the story today, but to get to be you know the head of the footy department, is that, was that the goal? Uh, I knew it was never going to be coaching. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: I, I sort of, to be honest, I love playing the game, but I never loved it enough to be a coach. I think being a coach like we'll go home from a game. Uh, I'll sit on the couch and have a beer or a red wine and, and relax. And they go and cut vision for 10 hours. Oh. And so it's just, I don't love it that much for that. Um, so I guess from my perspective, I always love the game. wanted to stay in it um, at some capacity. I didn't know what that looked like. Uh, and I guess knowing um, I didn't want to be a coach, but understand the influence you can have in a football department, still in an administrative role. Mm. Um, that was sort of something that appealed to me. And, um, I still don't know if that's
0: the end game. Um, but again, it's, it's something I'm enjoying for now. Well, I think it's so transferable. That's one thing I've learned with, with footy players, especially you know, good ones like yourself that have incredible leadership. Like those skills of playing on field and then going into business, it actually is very similar. Yeah, it's funny because even um,
1: I, I, with different people I work with, I say, all right, well, do you do presentations? You know, oh, yeah, all the time. like to clients and all this stuff. I was like, oh, yeah. Is that the first time you've done it? Oh, it is. But I, I sort of went through and, and wrote it all. I was yeah. like, yeah, but is it the first time you presented it? Well, yeah I thought well why wouldn't you get people in the room who can give you feedback on it because you don't know what you're doing you might have your hands in your pocket you might be uh, I was speaking to someone about it and he goes oh the old professor that you used to have back in the chalkboard days he had the chalk and he'd get nervous when he's talking and he'd start going like this with the chalk <laughs> And they couldn't—they couldn't stop. Like all they could see was that, and laugh at that. And they couldn't concentrate on what was going on. So, um, the intricacies of your body language when you're doing a presentation—if am I turning my back and looking at that instead of when I should be looking at you and taking the time to pause and reading your body language. So, even now after COVID, there's so many elements of it because we're used to presenting on on screens, yeah. so we're not used to actually having to do it in person again. So, there's sort of a, a lot of levels to it, and some companies do it really well um, by by sort of giving that advice. But you got to spend the money, investing in your people to want to do it, and um, even little things like that where. I'm used to presenting in front of groups because I've had to do it for a long long Mm. time Um, as you say that's transferable
0: yeah well you've got a wealth of knowledge and I'm very keen to unpack it today what I'd love to do um, and it's a little bit weird on this show call me strange but we'd love to start (laughs) at the start and we'd like to talk about your journey like growing up where'd you grow up what you would like as a kid um, and, and getting into your junior days of footy. Yep.
1: Um, grew up in Geelong yep. and uh, I was there till about uh, in Newtown till about age of 10. And we moved out to um, Wallington, just near Ocean Grove. So on about five and a half acres. Uh, just my brother loved his motorbikes. So I would love kicking the footy and playing sport. Um, and then were had the a younger sister as well. So we we're keen to get out of out of town of a bit more land. Um, and for me, I was just sport obsessed, just loved it. Um, but it's funny because I was only really sporting uh, football and cricket. So I know a lot of people play basketball and soccer mm. and all these things, but I was just footy in winter and cricket in summer. I just loved it. Um, so I guess for me, uh, anyone who grew up in Geelong, uh, you're never seen as someone who's going to make it in the in the AFL if you're not part of the Falcon system. So the first opportunity for that came uh, in the under-15s. Um, I went down as a 14-year-old, so I was an underage. Uh, went through the like, 100-odd, 90, 80, and so they cut it down and got cut. Uh, got invited back the next year as a top age and got cut. Uh, as a 16-year-old founder of 18s, got cut. Uh, so I wasn't looking real good. Um, but I probably had a bit of a turning point at 16 in that um, it's different now, obviously, with social media, with the amount of every single game's televised, um, the access to all the footy shows. Mm. Back then, you didn't have any of that. And so I broke for Hawthorne. So I live in Ocean Grove and they're at Waverley. So I didn't get to go and see them all that often. Um, loved when we did go, but they weren't real to me. So my heroes were sort of more the senior guys at St. Joey's footy club. Mm. So we'd go, you'd play under 15s, hang around, watch the 18s, and you spend the whole Saturday at the, at the uh, local footy club. And because those guys, they, they became my heroes. They were the guys I looked up to, and um, they asked me to start training with them when I was 16. So I sort of trained with uh, uh, under 18s from sort of four to five, and then there was a gap of an hour till 6 o'clock when, when they started. And because of that, I just didn't want to let them down. So I just started a lot more deliberate practice. Uh, So I sort of got an extra hour in a few times a week and then I ended up playing a game. Uh, We lost my 120 points, so it wasn't all my fault, but I got dropped the next week. But I loved it and I was was sort of forced to raise my level to them Uh, and it's just the old sink or swim. You either go, um, nah, this is too hard. I'm letting them down and you'd lose confidence. You go the other way or – you go, I'm learning or I raise my bark so I can see what's going on. That's why some, often the younger sibling ends up being the older because mm. they're mimicking the whole time. They're having to play, raise their level up. So that sort of happened to me then and improved a lot. Um, also went from being literally the smallest guy on the team to the high name now in the space of about um, probably nine months, 12 months. Mum and dad are convinced it was all the KFC I was eating so I was working there, so plenty of chicken. So I got invited back down to the Falcons as a 17-year-old and uh, I was actually, I was so fixed, i have been doing all that work, that I was winning all the time trials and everything was really good, I had great sort of feedback. And 1st uh, intra inter-club match, I picked up the ball three minutes in, handballed it off, I went to put on a shepherd and the guy sort of jumped in me with momentum and stuck his knee in my back and snapped the vertebrae in my spine. So I was out for sort of six to nine months while that healed, so got cut for a fourth time. Yeah. Um, Come back at the end of the year, played under-18s for for Joey's and uh, won a flag, which is good, but... It was sort of hard because the Falcons won the flag that year and I remember watching and they invited me back down the second half of the year. Mick Turner was, was sensational for me and, and Damien Christensen, um, the coach. They invited me back down to train as sort of a train on for the next year. So I, sort of, I was a random while they were training in that. But a lot of those guys who early in the year I was competing with and, and often beating were premiership players on mm. the MCG. And I was sort of like, oh, I just feel like I'm close, like I can get there. So fifth time they invited me down as a top age under eighteen and um, managed to play every game. Uh, we had a pretty good team. We had Hodge, Ablett, Bartel, Brent Maloney, Matt McGuire, um, Tim Boyle, Tom Davidson, Luke Mullen, Joel Reynolds, Tim Boyle. But twelve guys some end hard. up on the AFL list and um, amongst them I end up winning best playing finals uh, against those, with those sort of names. So all of a sudden those sort of clubs interested which hadn't happened before so you're getting all the interviews they come to your house and interview i didn't know at the time but school principals and all that sort of stuff they were interviewing about me um they couldn't go through social media because we didn't have that then (laughs) it's all changed what would they have seen if they not much i'm I'm pretty vanilla (laughs) yeah so draft came and went and missed out but i had eight clubs ring the next morning um want to train for a rookie this position so sort of sat down with with mick turner and damien christensen and we worked through the list and in the end, we thought Port Adelaide would be the the best option for me. Uh, they sort of had ageing defenders, so they had to start bringing through some youth, uh, and also for me as an eighteen year old, to show I was prepared to leave home and yeah. move into state, that would show how committed I was. So um, I went over there. I was supposed to be there a week. Got there day one. Uh, met Choco. They sent me in to do my medical, and I had some scans me because I've been carrying a groin injury towards the end of the year. Um, nothing to stop me playing, but sort of a soreness. And I remember just like this, he put it up on the screen. And he goes, "Oh mate, you got osteitis pubis." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "Mate, we can't, we can't fix that. We yeah, we we won't be picking you." And I was like, "Hang on, I've just gone like the highest of high. I've walked in. I'm looking around. I'm all AFL players." And so, what do you mean? I've got this injury. You can't treat. I've just been training. And I remember they sort of the footy manager and Choco and the doc sort of had a, a meeting just like this in the table in front of me. I was just sort of sitting there and Choco fought pretty hard, um, but. Ultimately, yeah, the decision was to, that we can't pick you. So I said, listen, I'm supposed to be here a week. You've really booked me flights and everything. I'm pretty stubborn. So I thought I'll, I'll prove you wrong still. So I kept training everything, but I got through the end of the week and uh, I, I learned a lot. I was just watching Cane Corns and Chad Corns and Tread Ray and Primus and all these guys. And I was just saying, okay, that's, that's the level. Like they're the best in the business and just taking notes and everything. Got to the Saturday and I was actually due to go to schoolies on the Monday with uh, four of my mates. We put in a thousand bucks each to go in the lawn to hire a house. And because um, I'd missed out on that, I was like, I've, I've got to find out what other options are there. So I rang Hawthorne because I knew Hodgie had OP real bad and he was pick one. So I thought they I not worried about it. And they were one of the eight clubs. So they said, yeah, sure, come down. So I went down there, stayed at Hodgie's uncle's house actually. And uh, I trained for a few weeks for them and. Got to the day before the rookie draft and they called me in and sat me down and said, look, there's four of you, but there's only two spots. So in order, John Baird's number one, Nick Stone's number two, you're number three, and Michael Georgiardis number four. So the Kangaroos have a pick before us and we think they might nab John Baird. If that happens, we'll get Stone and you. So I was like, okay. So left there like pretty confident. They tend to know what's going to happen at the top of the draft. Rookie draft, oh, sorry, um, yeah, rookie draft. So Kangaroos pick John Baird. Hawks picked Nick Stone and then picked George Yardis. So with the next pick, so I was sort of like, oh. And i only found out um, probably six years ago. Uh, I walked in a lift and ran into <laughs> a recruiting manager and sort of had a chat about it. And he said, yeah, there was a last-second decision made because he'd played for for Box Hill, which is Hawthorne's reserves, and you were injured and you'd only been on tape. And, um, yeah, we, we flipped it at the end. So it was sort of a bit of a sliding doors moment. So... Um for me, because I hadn't been part of that Falcons, I knew my brother's a builder. My dad was a builder by trade. I can't even hang a picture frame, so I knew that that wasn't my future. Um, so I worked pretty hard at school and got into a double degree at Ballarat. So I moved down there uh, to do that. And I wanted to play the highest level of footy I could, so I was playing VFL for North Ballarat and had one of the best years of my life. Like, it's just such good people um, and good club to be around, a lot of young guys. So there was obviously a, a social element to it and then get out in that, but also loved that I was doing my uni, but then I was um, working at the complete garden, doing like selling pots and fountains and that. Yeah. I was working at the Lakeview Hotel at nights, pouring pots and, and booking uh, units and that in the hotel. And I was doing yard duty for year eight kids at Ballarat and Clarendon College a couple of days a week. So you sort of, everything was on me, like I had to be responsible for everything and, um, and sort of be the one that got myself up and got myself organized. And I loved that, that I had to rely on myself. So I got to the end of the year and um, I managed to win the sort of best first year player thing. So I got a bit of attention and um, Geelong rang up and Stephen Wells and said, we want to come train with us. So I headed down there to train with them and went through for about a month. Got to a uh, day before the rookie draft and Bob McCall went to his office and we sat down and said, we're not going to draft him, we're not going to rookie you." And I just sort of, Heart, heart broke right in front of him and he just said oh we want you to play on our top up list um, which obviously you got say 44 on your AFL list 22 play AFL rest play VFL but there's always injury so your top up list tops it up so effectively though if all their defenders were available I'll be playing back at St. Joe's and um I said, man, I appreciate the offer, but I'm already playing for North Ballarat. Right? like playing every week. I've got uni up there. I've got jobs. Like, why would I come here and, and hope that I'm going to play? He said, well, obviously, skinny kid at that stage. We can build, build you up. You'll be in our weights programs. You'll be right under our nose, all that sort of thing. All our coaches will be here. So um, he sort of made the case. And I said, look, I appreciate it, but I've I've got a good thing up there. I gave him my word that if I didn't get picked up that I was going back. And um, And he said, well, i've offered it to you there's probably not many other options to you because there was no one else getting picked sort of after that age mm. um until sort of the barlows and podziadleys a couple of years later so i shook his hand and left and thought that was it so i was pretty gutted uh and this is about let's say five days before christmas so i got home and um actually rang up ricky barham who's in sydney who was one of the other ones that were interested and i said mate give me a chance i'll pay my own way oh, i'm just i was that desperate and uh, and he said, Mum, we've we've got to go with New South Wales kids for our rookie list. So I'd love to have you. But um, and obviously he's his best mates Mickey Turner, so he'd he'd push pretty hard for me. Um, and I said, Yeah, right, I understand. And um, I thought, all right, we've got to go back to Ballarat and go again. So um, the next day, so one of the clubs had had issues with their salary cap, so everything got pushed back. It was like literally four or five days before Christmas that we um, that this had happened. And mum was dropping me in to catch up when we mates from school for a beer, for Christmas beer. I got a text message from a mate and said, Well run the draft. I was sort of like, "What the hell is this?" and I read it out to Mum, and she pulled across three lanes of traffic and almost killed us. And going, "Ring him, ring him!" I rang him up and said, "Mate, what's that all about?" And uh, he goes, "Oh, Collingwood picture." I was like, "No, nah, I haven't spoken to Colin for 15, 16 months," which was the truth. And uh, he goes, "Oh, it's on the computer screens before all the stuff was live." <laughs> and and uh, I said, "No, um, no, nah, nah, it must have been a projection thing, but no, nah, I'd, I'd know by now." And you know, I hung up and I had four voicemail messages. I'm like, what the hell's going on here? And First one is Noel Jokins, recruiting officer from Collingwood. When I went and welcome the club. And I'm like, my mates have got a few hours head start on me. They've grabbed some bloke in a pub and they're <laughs> stitching me up, having a laugh. And I deleted it. <laughs> when the next one said, oh, I was Mick Moldhouse from the Collingwood Footy Club. When I woke in the club, I'm like, yeah, bullshit. And I deleted that too. I went to the third one and it was Peter Lenton, my player manager, who had signed with the year before. And he was screaming like, you fucking beauty, how good's this? And screaming down the phone. And I was like, maybe this is real. Cause your mates wouldn't know who that was. And, Fourth one was was Bucks, who was the captain of the club. So that's how I found out I got there. So it was, um, yeah, a bit of a journey to get there. And I, I was you know. a uh, a one-year contract for 18 grand before tax. So I, I worked at Telstra every Thursday from eight till six, just because you, you couldn't live off it. Um, and probably the thing that gave me the opportunity to go from a rookie list to making it A lot of it has to do with, I mean, Gavin Brown and uh, Terry Danaher were great and Brad Gotch as sort of assistant coaches. I didn't have a lot to do with Mick in the first year. But at Williamstown, that was Collins Reserves and I had Troy West, Sam Cranage, Brad Lloyd, Craig Smoker, Josh Marnie, um, Adrian Fletcher. We had had, like elite Williamstown people. um, And those guys just welcomed us in open arms and they taught us like – we were their own, like, like, that was their job. And um, we won a flag that year. We won both flags, on the first and the second. And that sort of gave me enough to get another one-year contract and sort of debuted halfway through that year. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm always going to remember how important they were in my development and the opportunities they gave me.
0: Fuck. There's there's one thing that's really evident in that story that that I just kept, like, counting them. I was like, fuck, you're training with the seniors at St. Joey's, you're having all these setbacks. You go to Port Adelaide. You say like, you know, I'm ta- not taking no for an answer. You offer to go to Sydney. Do all these things. That drive. It, I hope you understand that's not normal because a lot of a lot of players and you know, including myself, have been in those situations. And and you want these things, but to actually put yourself out of your comfort zone and drive and push in your story. I'm assuming it's always been a part of you, or do you think that someone in your life has actually impacted that drive and and probably actually helped you saying, hey, Maxi, go and do this, go and do this, or was it actually just you?
1: What's I, I know. Because you don't know. You don't know what you know. don't yeah. know.
0: But um, I remember
1: mum and dad got interviewed once. There was a, a reporter came out at home and was sort of asking when we were going through our success, um, successful times when we were competing mm-hmm. for flags. And they asked her the same question. And She goes, well, we were like, how's he still doing this? Like, surely you give up type yeah. thing. So I, I don't know. All, all I know was I wanted it. Um, but at the same time, plenty of people want it and there's sliding doors moments here or there. Like, there's that many guys who are way better players than me that maybe the door slid the wrong way and they got an injury at the wrong time when they were about to debut. Like, there was a lot of things that had to line up for me. So even for me to debut, um, and Lockyer had to do his ACL to open up a spot on the list. And Tark's, funnily enough, was like my mentor in the first couple of years. He'd had me over to, to his family dinner and that sort of thing. So you need you need things to go right. And there's there would be, and we'll never know who they were, but there will be hundreds of players that could have made it or should have made it, but didn't because of that moment. So that's when you talk to young guys now, you just go, be ready. Like you don't know what's going to happen, but always expect that you could be the next one up. Um, And I think the other one is, I reckon there's probably, I don't know, between 80 and 100 players that I went through with. uh, And and out of all the guys that didn't make it, which obviously, so 80 or 90 that got delisted or whatever. In that period, In that period, through my whole career. There's only two I could put my hand on my heart that did absolutely everything they possibly could and just weren't good enough. And I won't name names or anything like that, but there's if you get in the door, you're ninety eight percent like talented enough to make it. Yeah. You don't miss on talent anymore. Like there's so few players get the opportunity that you don't miss on talent. They know you're good enough in talent. It's all on you. It's either you're not prepared to understand that the guy sitting across me, even though he's my teammate, he's got the job that I want. So I actually have to go out there with a the combative attitude to go, it's you or me. Mm. And which which can be hard because these are your mates. These are the guys you're going out for a beer with. These are the guys you're in change rooms with. But ultimately, twenty two play. And if you if you break it down even more, if you go, I'm the third tour in the back line. There's probably three or four or five on the list. So if we're only playing one, I've got to get past the other four. If if we're playing two, I've got to get past the other three. So you sort of got to have the right attitude and understand that. I think the other thing I managed to do in my career was I knew my limitations and I knew what I was good at. So I knew every time I took a mark, the best option for us was for me to give it to Heashore or Benny Johnson flying past and the run to get the handball received because that was going to be best for our team. And that was the best decision for me. I knew if I got the ball and I didn't have a handball option, I needed to either hit a 20-meter kick or kick it 60 mm. meters because I wasn't someone who could do, who could buy time like a Scott Pendlebury and be creative. So it didn't mean I didn't work my ass off to get better at those things, but you got to know what – Know where you're, know your lane, know what's, what's, what you're good at and what you're not. So, um, I loved, like, I love getting over, running 20 metres and putting a shepherd on for my teammate to get him into space. <laughs> like, you ask some guys, they're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Why would you do that? It's not the Go get the ball. Thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, but that gave me a career. Mm. That, that got me a spot in the team. And if I didn't do that, I wasn't, I couldn't do the other stuff. So you just had to work out and then your conference builds. And instead of going across the amount to spoil, you start going for a few marks and you, conference builds there and you just sort of don't know what you're capable of i guess
0: yeah well it's you know from someone with a quite an opposite maybe um journey that that you've had in terms of that mindset and lessons you've learned early you know i had to learn that probably the hard way because i think in my career and a lot of people i speak for in the afl like you know i probably was one of those 90 or that 80 88 that not not going there and not working hard but just not knowing and not realizing the opportunity you have and sometimes it does Past you up and I've tried to use that you know in, into the next phase of my career and, and do that yeah. in, in that aspect but one guy that really stands out and I've, I've spoken about him a little bit that has like a, you know reminds me of what you're saying is is Ed Kerno. yep and I remember my first day like going into Carlton and I was sitting next to him and he was this rookie that had got drafted from Box Hill and I was like oh fuck I'm so much better than this bloke. like <laughs> you know and to this day I think you know skills and stuff wise I was but yeah. he's just continually proved people wrong is a word that you know I can't say on, on a podcast that um, we both know that you've got to have a bit of when yeah, you play correct. AFL footy. Yeah. And there's players like that, like yourself, they're the ones that you love playing with the most. Yeah. What was that like as a leader, like when you when you knew that you had a teammate like that? The
1: best thing you want to do is
0: be that teammate for everyone mm. else. So, is that what you love the most? Because I'm assuming that's what you went out there going, I want to be this, and that's what I just want. I want my team to know that this is where I am. So, from um, probably 17,
1: 18 onwards, um, my nickname uh, was Hank, and it was from me, myself, and Irene with a split personality, where he's this old nice guy and then you've got this mad guy. So um, a lot of that came from right, you cross that white line, you're a different person. And I had no choice. If I didn't do that, I wouldn't have played. I wouldn't have got a game. So um, knowing that you've got to be physical, you've got to be aggressive. Um, I, need, I know 99.5 of the players I lined up on were more talented than I was. So how am I going to beat them? If, I, if, it's, if it's a game of speed, they're going to beat me. If it's a game of fitness, they're going to beat me. How can I bring them back to my level almost? So I got to try and prevent them. So that was the way I sort of approached it. All right, and, and also outside of all that, I did the work. So people would go, "Geez, Hagar was Buddy." Like I played on played on Buddy one day, kicked um, kicked on me, but um, Haggard was Buddy. Mate, Buddy's unbelievable. Um, but he was also unbelievable. Be not just because he was quick and strong and and talented. He was unbelievable because he knew that. When Hodgie swung out on his left foot, he was going to put it out of space for him and he wouldn't have to break stride. He knew that Mitchell could go left or right, wanted to kick it 20 to 25, yeah. so he had to hit up. Uh, he knew that Cyril could, on left foot could come out on his left, but he could also hook it back the other way, which not many could. He knew that Ruffy came out and he's pretty up and down when he's trying to hit his target, so all right, I've got to lead at him. All those things he knew, but I, knew, oh, I studied all that. I studied that for every opposition. So I was watching every tape. I was watching as much as I could because... I needed to. I needed every single little half a percent to get there. And I guess the bottom line around it always, how far are you prepared to go would be the question I'd ask. No matter what it is, if it's sport, if it's a degree, if it's whatever it is, um, are you prepared to give up that 18th birthday party because you need that extra night of sleep to prepare for a game? Are you prepared to go home at 10 o'clock instead of staying out till 3 so all the little sacrifices you've got to make and the thousands of them, are you prepared to do them? If you are, you'll probably get rewarded. Like in life, you will. In, in sport, it's a bit harder because there is an element of talent and timing and all that. But yeah, that's sort of, I guess, how far you're prepared to go, how bad you want it. I love that. I really do love that.
0: 2003, um, You when, when you come into the team, when do you know that AFL footy is for you? And I know that in your mindset, you've already... You know, you already feel like you belong there. But when was there a point where you're like, no, I'm really confident now?
1: I reckon end of 2009 when I was – I'd had a year as captain and I was all Australian. That's when I thought, all right, now now I can – now it'll be on my terms when I finish type thing. But up until then, I was still like, I could get the ass anytime. Mm. So I never felt comfortable and – End of 2008, uh, I got given a, a couple of roles. I broke my wrist in start of, a, I think it was the last game in 2008 uh, against Sydney. I was playing on Ryan O'Keefe, who was a, a who was a centre forward who basically played midfield, just went everywhere and um, I managed to play okay against him in that game, but they just sort of strapped it up on you, oh, keep going. Um, and the next week we played Adelaide at the old football park and they were like red-hot favourites and I was asked to go in on in the midfield, which I'd never done, or well, since I was 15, and tag Scott Thompson, who was like dominant on like, most possessions ever or something, or close to it that year. Um, and I managed to cut him out and keep a couple of goals and we won the game and then we lost, um, I think the next week to St Kilda or something. Um, and I had a similar role, I think it was on, might have been on Brendan Goddard or someone, but... It was a similar role wherever it was And I remember my review Saying to Mick I always just wanted to be A good team player And after those couple of games Where I got a bit of a taste of I guess being a little bit better Than what I had been That's when I went "No, I'm not satisfied Being a good team man I want to be a good team man But I want to be better than that So that's what you're going to see from me And that's what you should expect And yeah I suppose that next year As an All-Australian
0: Was something that was reward for that yeah, it's huge. Yeah, I, I can still really fondly remember that year and probably when I was most like loving footy, getting into it. The pies, as much as I hated hated Collingwood, it was <laughs> it was hard not to respect what what you guys are doing. I'd love to talk about the handover of the captaincy. You know, how did it transpire? What was yep. the words? Was it a revoke? Bucks finished more in seven, but he did the
1: the number five handover. Yes, yeah, well, which was something that um, he were actually on a plane to Vegas. Me and him and Josh Fraser <laughs> and uh, I think Ryan Loney was on it too. And he just sat down next to me and goes, um. I want you to wear number five.
0: Right. So this is, he wanted you to wear it when you weren't even captain. Yeah, yeah. True. Yeah.
1: So, um, I was like, what, why? Like you're obviously superstar of the game and I'm 22nd picked. And uh he just said, I respect the way you go about it. And sort of, I love your journey and all that type of thing. And, um, I was sort of like, yeah, it's, it should be bigger than me. Like the number, you should be going to someone who's going to be a superstar type thing. And anyway, he goes, have a think about it. And, um, one thing he said was, he goes, if you don't want it, I'm going to speak to either Scotty Penelby or Daisy Thomas about it. I was like, oh, I don't want one of those pricks getting it. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, um, I actually thought like those two are going to be absolute superstars. Um, I sort of I, – I don't want them to have that pressure. Yeah. Like I'd rather they go about their own journey a little bit, not, not be faced with a comparison, whereas I'm never, ever going to get compared to him. So I sort of thought, okay, that's one in that column. Um, and then the other one in that column was he'd helped me a lot, Buck's Adlock, in terms of my career and journey, that sort of thing as well. And I spoke to mum and dad about it and they said, well, if that's what he wants, like you should owe him the respect to, to take it on. And so I sort of yeah, came back and took it on and um, played that 2008 year under Burnsy. And, and that was part of – I was one of the – there was a few of us in the leadership group mm. who were supporting him. And it wasn't until the next year – I never had leadership aspirations. Like I've captained one team in my life so I'd never done it before, so I didn't even know what was what I should be doing or anything, so um, I was as surprised as anyone when I was named captain uh, in 2009, but I, I guess for me, the thing that worried me, I was like, um, I'm, I, I was only like, there was something like 25 blokes older than me on the list, and I was like, Jesus, how am I, how am I supposed to tell them or guide them, like they've got more life experience, they're better players and that type of thing, and I just kept coming back to, I remember catch up with Mick at one stage near his house, had a coffee and he goes, mate, we picked you to be you and no one else. We didn't pick what we hope you are going to be, we picked who you are. And that gave me confidence to go, okay, I've, I've sort of, I've just got to be me. I'm just going to do it my way. And what actually helped me was because I didn't know anything any better was I just did what I thought was right. So, um, and the way that I think is right is I don't have all the answers. Um, I, I'm someone who wants to ask, what do you think? What other situations are there uh, that we could go through? Um, How do we manage this? Whatever it is. Um, But I had Benny Johnson and Heater and Dids and Swanee and those guys who are the Rat Pack, they were just as important to um, our leadership as I was. And I say that because I I wasn't out with them, but they knew who was and they knew how to help those guys and they knew how to have a good time. Um, They knew how to balance me out so that sometimes we probably – had to have more of a good time or we had to have a bit more says from the players' group rather than from being told from the coaches group. So mm. um that was that were just as important for me as as pendules and guys who were, I guess, more like me. So um and that sort of helped and again you, you get confident, you
0: you feel like you've got the right people around you, you, get in the groove and you go from there. Yeah, I can actually I, I remember a story now that um Heath actually told about you um years ago when he was talking about leadership and he was talking about, you know, why he loved you as a leader so much. And I think there was something, you know, you always have these battles between players, the leaders, and the coaches. And there's like leadership is uh, relaying sorry, the, the message from coaches to the players and vice versa. Yep. And I think, you know, at most clubs it's quite sometimes leaders just will do that and they just pass on messages. But I think something had happened one day and, and Mick was saying, you know, we want the boys off the pierce or we want to do this on this day and we want to come in and try our days off. And you just said no we're not doing it because you'd spoke to the boys you'd yeah. spoke to some of the players and it got the message being like we can't do it this is yeah. what we need to do
1: I think it's um, it's like any type of management like if you want to be a dictatorship you're never gonna you, you can have success but you're never gonna get the most out of the people underneath you and mm. that was mixed strength was um, he would he would rip shreds off me in front of the whole group because he knew that that was a trigger for me to go I'll show you don't tell me I'm not good enough and I'll do it if he did that to someone else He'd lose him. So for for other guys, he put his arm around him, and it was more, "I'm here to support you. I'm here for you, but I need you to do this. You need to do this." And it was sort of like a, a different sort of coaching method. Um, and so when everyone says, "like you can never treat everyone the same," because everyone reacts differently, everyone's got a different background. So Mick knew what button to push for everyone. So um, that's part of the leadership style of 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 floating it down and bringing it down. So knowing that there's certain rules that are just non-negotiable for everyone and that's what you decide as a group start of the year these are non-negotiables talk now forever hold your peace and once you get through that you can always remind hey mate you had a chance you had a chance to to say no to that mm. and you said yes so you sort of can go back to that you never want to get to that point though you'd rather just everyone understands yeah I'm, I missed the boat on that one I stuffed up there um, but also I think what the boys probably enjoyed was that I, I always felt like even in leadership anywhere you shouldn't ever think you have all the answers and it's okay not to. And that's the big thing for me. I think that um, so many people think if they're in a management or leadership position, oh, I need to know the answers, I'm the leader. Mm. Why? Why do you have to have all the answers? Like no one's that smart, they know everything. Um, everyone's got their own specialty. So for me, it's just understanding the different groups and then, and then when you have to be strong, nah, we're doing it this way. Or boys, I understand that you think this, but I'm sorry, this one, this, this way we're going, this way I need your support. And if they know that you've built a relationship, they know yeah. you're in it for the right reasons, then
0: they'll be fine with that. 2008, 2009, it's a building year for the pies. What do you think or where do you think a lot of that belief came from? And, you know, it's well-documented, a lot of these training camps that you were the pioneer, you know, Collingwood pioneer of going on, whether it was Arizona and Utah and yep. all these places. um, do you think that played a massive role in it? Do you think um, the training standards played a massive role in it? Like what what do you think got you to that ultimately got you to the grand final in twenty
1: ten? I think it was a bit of everything to be honest. I think um we had we had seven rookies in the premiership team, which is pretty unheard of mm. for, for that many rookies at that stage in particular. So we had a lot of guys who were willing to get their hands dirty so the stars could shine, so to speak. And, and I think you need that balance. You you need there's no point um guys who are I guess down the who are your role players thinking they can win the game off their own boot but at the same time we want Didac and these guys trying to win the game off their own boot because they've got that talent and that X factor and you've got to understand that they're they're people Daisy like they've got that ability so I reckon a lot of the time it was there's half the group's job was to do all the all the crappy jobs so all the other guys can can shine and and be brilliant and that's part of being a good team is understanding that that's how it has to be so
0: um, there was that around the timing and the on, type on those players as well so that there's one analogy I love in that team who might not be as well known is like the Lee Brown yep role like someone you know I think he was at North Melbourne prior yep. to that the appointment of going a lot of people saying why the fuck would you have got you know Lee Brown yep. to come play for Collingwood but ultimately was one of the most important players in, in the team
1: it was funny because he um, I was at the Moonee Valley races on a Friday night uh, I think it was the night for the grand final it might have been the yeah. AFL grand final and I was trying to recruit him to St. Joey's to my local club. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He ends up being my premiership teammate not long later. So um, so
0: was was he delisted from North or was he just finished up? I don't know,
1: know if he delisted so yeah, or it, whatever it was yeah. there. But, um, yeah, I was like, I'm able to get Danny to Joey's. Like, you'll be perfect. You know, and that. <laughs> so I was talk, chatting to him about it and in the end he ends up coming to Collingwood. So, um, yeah, and, and again, it's it's been able to fill those gaps. Like Bully obviously just yeah. had a ripper grand final the the year before off 50% game time and – um, just needed a refresh. Um, Jolie obviously wanted to wanted to come home. The other part that like, as much as you talk about how good the team is, out just outs, like that you talk about the twenty two, mm. but we had um, Josh Fraser, um, Leon Davis who missed the second one, Tarkin Lockyer, Shane O'Brien, um, Paul Medhurst. Oh, I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Tom Prestia Como over and injured. Yep. Like, we had so many guns who. Who taught us so much and, and you sort of like And before that Burns and Clement And LaCuria And Buckley And all these guys And you want You want them Wakeland You want them to have a flag Because they helped Build that flag Like they helped Teach all us What we knew And it's the sliding doors Of like Jimmy Clement Would have been captain Of that team But he ended up Retiring earlier Because he had some um, for, for some family issues mm. And moved back to Perth So A guy like that Who was my sort of Footy mentor who taught me so much. It's a slow endorsing again, so um, you, you need you need the timing to be right as well. And the timing was almost wrong because we almost lost the grand final.
0: Yeah. So we yeah we have had to come back and do it the next week. What, what was the memories of that first one? Um, obviously the drawn grand final. It was it was a massive. I just I was actually at that game and yeah. I can still remember it so clear to this day. What was your thoughts on the game? Um, I've heard a lot of people say now that you know that was probably. Really lucky that it was drawn because, you know, another five minutes and St. Kilda probably looked like they had the, the runs on the board. Yeah.
1: We used to get one vote in the best and fairest if you played your role, just played your role. So nothing special, just played your role. Two is obviously better than that, three, etc. Um I think we had five guys get a vote on that day. So normally, if five guys get a vote to play their role, 17 haven't, you lose by 10 goals. Mm. So again, we got real lucky. That's. Um, we had enough. Probably those five actually helped, helped enough. But I remember talking to um on the Monday, Mick went through the footage of the review and that sort of thing, and he said, um, "What we did, we just kept bombing it into Fisher and um, Gwilt and all those guys, and they just yeah. kept picking it off." Like it was just bad ball moving going forward. And um, he goes at the end of the meeting, Nick, and from you, and I said, "Yeah, there's one thing. I know that a lot of guys are really disappointed with how they played on Saturday." And grand finals, sometimes you never get a chance to make amends. Sometimes five years later, ten years later, you might. So we got a chance in five days' time. I promise you if you come out and play your role and do your job, what happened on Saturday will never be remembered. Mm. No one ever goes, oh, who were the 17 who didn't play well? They go, who were the – I think it was 18 or 19 who got votes the next week? So you're a premiership player because – just put that aside. Like it didn't work, We didn't play well. Just come out and play your role this week. So – um the other one was when we, after the game finished, we were out in the grounds. And everyone thought we were out in the ground because they were um, debating whether we should play extra time. Mm. And, uh, and obviously I, was, I hated the fact that we had to come back and do it again, which ended up being all right. Um, but uh, it was actually because the, the rooms flooded with sewage. So the actual yeah. players' room, So yeah. 100,000 people going to the toilet and they, they flooded and, and the rooms were all flooded. So we were sitting out there while they worked out where to put the two teams. So end up putting us on the other side of the ground, but there was four players from each team who got picked for drug testing, which I was one, and that's all set up, all official, and it has to be in the rooms they're in for the reasons, what the official element of it. So we had to go down to those rooms, um, and I was it was a hot day, I was that cooked, um, like the, the disappointment of feeling like I let everyone down, like I was captain, wish we were favourites to win, we we're in front, we didn't win, so it's my fault. What what am I going to do? How am I going to get us out of this? End up, took me about an hour and 40 minutes to wee my 90 mils. Every time I tried to wee, it was just, they go, we can't use that because I was just so dehydrated. Okay, yeah. So um, finally, I was last to leave. I walked out. All I had was my car keys. So I was still in full plane kit. I walked out in the ground. I'm just looking around. It's dark, but there's like cleaners cleaning up. And I just thought, how the hell are we going to come back and do it again? I drove back to um, the Holden Centre and I parked my car and I walked through. i went this little altitude room and the treadmill. And I just heard they're like, they are running on the, on the treadmill. And I thought, I, I can't even get a step ahead of me. Who the hell's running on the treadmill? And I opened the door and it was Tarkin Locker and Tyson Goldsack who were two emergencies for the game because Presty had pulled out injured the day before. And they're laughing and like sort of chatting on each other and I thought, holy shit, like these two guys just had like the ultimate disappointment. Like you're the next man to come in, so close to playing, door shut, grand final, the door's ajar again. And they're like, all of a sudden, they can win a flag. They can come and be part of a grand final, of which Goldie ended up doing it. Mm. I thought, shit, it's not opportunity lost. It's opportunity postponed. Like, when we started talking about it's halftime, that type of thing. So they helped change my mindset that it's not over. It's just postponed a bit.
0: Fuck. What happened uh, the next week? What happened the next week? Like, do you remember going into round two, feel, feeling what you're feeling? Because I think I was, you yeah. know, we were chatting about this before, but... As an onlooker in that game without knowing anything you just said, I remember being at the game and looking at St Kilda and they sort of came together and they were talking to each other. And I remember the pies being, you know, sort of depleted on the ground, laying separately. Yep. And in my head, I was like, fuck, I reckon St Kilda might have yeah. this. Like, they just feel like they're a bit bit closer together. Yeah. Um, but without knowing, you know, what, what had sort of transpired well, in, in that guess, week about.
1: Yeah, I just thought once we got through the recovery part and we learned what we needed to do. I just thought um, there's no way we can have that many guys play that badly again. Yeah, and, and that Penn, was, was Penderby really sick? Yeah, was he had virus? been. Well, he tells us he was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. It's a type so of story. yeah, because yeah, okay. he's only the only bad game he's ever played. So <laughs> um, no, he had been. He lost a few guys that week, but again, he's sort of the one. He's not remembered as had a had a well-blown average game by his standards in a grand final. It was Norm Smith medalist. Yeah. So again, he's sort of one of those ones. So, um, but yeah, we we just. They had the experience of playing the grand final where a lot of guys didn't handle it and lucky
0: enough to come back the next week. I always love like those moments and I'm sure you you understand exactly what I'm talking about but there's those moments that aren't often on TV. They might have been behind the play, might have been offside running and covering someone's man. Have you gone back and reviewed that game or did something stand out to you in that game where you were like, fuck, that, that's just unbelievable. Like I, I really remember like a smother or something tough.
1: Oh, well, Heder obviously talks about his mother um, yeah. more than anyone. He <laughs> sends us videos on it all the time. Um, so I won't talk about that. Well, probably not specifically because I think after the first week when we did get a few goals up and we thought at the like, halftime we probably should have been four or five going in, four or five up. Um, and St Kilda were a team that just hung, they just hung with you and hung with you. Um, and we didn't want to get too far ahead to the point where um, when Harry kicked that goal, I think it was about 11-minute mark of the fourth, and he was going nuts, carrying on, and all the boys were jumping on him, and I came and gave him a hive, and then I go, what are you fucking doing, blokes? Switch on. Get back in. And I just started giving it to him. Um, and they were like, oh, okay. And so everyone went back and got to their man, and I sort of looked up the scoreboard, and I was like, oh, shit, we're, we're going to win. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll probably carry on a bit there. So um, I remember then just started doing the loop, like in between stoppages and that, and just sort of patting each other on the back, and that, that, was, a, that was cool to know 10, 15 out, you're going to win. Um, and then it was – well, then we couldn't get near the ball anyway because Didac, Thomas, um, Johnson, Shaw, they just basically chipped around and played their own game for the next 10 minutes and the rest of us just stood by and watched. So um, they were just
0: racking and stacking. <laughs> what goes through your head when, when that siren goes? Obviously, it's taken a week longer than, than you had hoped. The journey that you've been through um, to get to where you are, you're captaining an AFL club, probably the biggest, biggest club in the AFL, and – all the setbacks you've had in that stage, did it was it surreal? Did you, did you actually reflect on it then, or did your mind just go to to celebration? It was pure relief, pure relief. Like I got
1: one; they can never take it off me. If this is the last game I play, I managed to be part of a team that won one. Like that was just all it was. And just remember dropping on my knees, and boys piled on. And then I, I remember I just like all right back into sort of leadership mode. Right, what i got to do now? Oh, right, and Richo's here. I've got to do the commentating thing all right i've got to go see i haven't seen any of our support staff, so i jog over try and see if mick finds me and then all of a sudden we're in a circle singing the song oh geez i haven't even got to the saints guys yet and then i was thinking i want to make sure i get across there and then the um, master of ceremony all those top people come start grabbing you and pulling you over you're going to go up at this time they start explaining to me i was like so i still like not filthy but i i feel i should have Somehow I, I need to get across to mm. Nick and Rosalind and Rosaline, those guys and I didn't actually do it. Um, so that was sort of something that I'm still stays with me a little bit that I didn't get across there. But again, if I was them, I was like, piss off, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess for me it was just like what's next and then all right, which sponsors do I have to thank? Like, and then i start thinking like that. So I'm like, right, let's get through the official part and then I can – get to my family and I can and start enjoying that part of it. Yeah. So I don't know, I guess I'm sort of a bit messed up that way. Yeah. Oh, so
0: after, you know, twenty odd years of heartache and and setbacks and getting to where you are, grind, you give yourself about ten seconds of yeah. celebration <laughs> yeah. until you're yeah. back on. I do I do remember um
1: Ben Reed ran up and he was behind me and he grabbed me in a headlock and I and everyone's jumping and celebrating he was that excited and like, I'm about ten seconds in I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to like tap him out. I thought he was trying to kill me. So eventually, I got out of that one. <laughs>
0: Fucking hell. Yeah, that's huge. Leadership. What do you think makes you such a good leader? In you know, part one yeah. and part two. Who do you think in your journey has been the biggest influence on you as a leader, or someone you've you've learned the most from? And it might even be you know not what to do, it might be like what not to do as well. Was well, probably if, if I flip it the other way
1: and start with yeah. with that is that um my mum like I learnt empathy and like caring for others and charity and that with my dad I learned like ridiculous work ethic um the treatment of his staff in his own business um we'd get home after 10 hour day and still find time to kick the footy or play cricket or whatever with me so the commitment to, to that to his family um Gerard Fitzgerald at North Ballarat was all mm-hmm. it was people first so he's how are you going are you eating the right foods how, how's work how's uni all right let's look at your tape so I was always person before job um Mick Moldhouse spoke about like the individual, what buttons do you press, and how do you sort of develop them. Um, Craig Bellamy, and, and um, he's just got ridiculous work ethic. Um, he's someone who he doesn't think he knows at all, despite the fact he's arguably one of the greatest coaches in all of sport in Australia. Quick sort of story on him: He, oh, so I spent the six years with the Storm, and in my halfway through my first year there, so. I've gone into NRL. Have no idea about the game. Um, you feel like an, an intruder, even though they made you feel so welcome. And we'd lost two games in a row. I remember confronting him and saying, "Oh, mate, I've I, I've been thinking about something. I want to say it, but I feel I feel like it's not my real job to say it." But he goes, "Well, spit it out." She's oh, okay. So I'm I'm even more nervous now. And um, I said, "Mate, the last two weeks, um, the player that's been voted our best player, players, players, Ryan Hinchcliffe." He's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's come off the bench both times. But when he came on, we were down 14-0 and 16-0. So he's in great form at Smithy's. I think Smithies Smithy's 300th at that stage. Who's his best mate. I was like, why wouldn't we start him if he's in the best form? Like, we need to start well this week and get the confidence going. Um, and he's Smithy's best mate, so that's even more, meant even more to him. Like, think about that. And he just sort of paused, and it felt like two minutes, but mm-hmm. it was probably five seconds. And he goes, you're bloody right. You're bloody right. Good on you for saying something and walked away and I've got <laughs> And it was again, so for him, you've got a guy who doesn't know the game, who is here to do a leadership role, not selection or anything like that. He could have said, piss off, mate. Like, what are you doing? I'm the coach, so let me yeah. look after you. But he's like considered, okay. And he sort of takes it on board. So he doesn't know he doesn't have all the answers. So again, it's another another form of leadership. So I think you just go through um all the different layers of who you meet in in life or all, all so even like so you you talk about yourself about I probably didn't commit to my footy as much as I could have and I might have some regret there but I'm not going to make the same mistake again mm. in in the next phase of what life looks like so it's learning a lesson of what's happened so straight away that's teaching people and that's the type of leadership so I think everyone's on a different journey and you don't want to be one size fits all so even in moments Put your hand up and go I didn't get that right I missed that one I should have done that And even now I go back And there's regrets Like we're having beers And sort of stuff All the time With teammates And ex-teammates And I missed on that one Like I just talked about Not getting to Nick Rewalt. So It's okay to make mistakes And put your hand up And say you made mistakes But also Don't make them Because you're pig-headed Or because you didn't Listen to people around you Or just because you You know what I mean Like make them For the right reasons Mm. So I guess it's a strange answer, but it's probably there's so many facets to it. You can't just go, this is leadership. And leadership was Alan Tuvey locking away the best small forward every week and us not having to worry about that role. So that was leadership. He knew that was his, his job, wasn't to get across third man up every time or to get tons of the ball or whatever it is. That was his job. That was leadership by doing your job better than anyone else. So no one would say Toovey was a leader outside of me just saying it. So you just got to think of the different elements to it.
0: And what do you look back now thinking about your own game and your own style of leadership? Do you think fuck that was that was something I was most proud of? I'm probably most proud of
1: yes, that, but it's more because of the relationships I built around it. Yeah. So um I was at Jared Blair's wedding two weeks ago. So the fact that he still feels I had enough of an influence on him as a friend and as a teammate that he still wants me to be part of that special day for him. Mm. So um having ex-teammates or
0: ex-staff call and just for advice. We talk a lot about this and it's something that I've, I look back and I've nearly learned the biggest lesson from was being liked versus being respected. Yep. And I think that's something that's really evident in what you're saying there was you might not have gone out with, with Jared Blair every week and, and got on the beers, but when shit hit the fan and he needed help, he, you go to someone you respect over someone you like because you yep. want honesty.
1: Yeah, I, I like to think so. And, and I, think, I don't think you have to be exclusive in either column. I think that you waver between them both. So um, one of the proudest moments is when he had me sent off back in his uh, off the field team of yeah. team of his career. Yeah, uh, which surprised a hell of a lot of people <laughs> so I was on the on field one too so I was rats but um, it, it, but for me it was I'd, I had to pick my times because I couldn't I couldn't be someone who was a be drinking mm. at, at certain stages because I couldn't bounce back from it. I wasn't good enough whereas others might have been able to so um, but I made sure I had a good time when I could have a good time so um, I think the other one is the people you surround yourself with is so crucial Yeah, like that's just and I was even having a conversation with someone today about it is that there's someone I'm questioning who the reasons why they're hanging around them I go like, mate you can make your own decisions but all I'm telling you is I've, I've read this book before and for me all my me, all me mates at home um, from Geelong that I went to school with are still my best mates in the world and so um, I would – I could have had great game on a Friday night and I'll get to my phone and one of them will have a video up there of the kick that I missed that went in the opposition for a goal and yeah. they'll be taking the piss out of me. So bring you back to earth straight away. Um, but also those same guys knew we didn't have a buck stay at the races once because they knew I would have got harassed. So instead we'd always get a bus where we'd go to – just pubs out in the country for one hour at each one and move on to the next one and that was because they would try to look after me and do the right thing by me and make sure that, that I was still part of it and I could
0: still be a part of it so um, surrounding yourself with the right people is crucial yeah obviously Pendle's yep. now one of one of the greats of, of the modern era and incredible captain I think it came out today saying that it, it's going to be his last year as captain this year yep putting the pressure on you now, can you give us who you'd think will be the captaining the pies in in the future?
1: Well, we've got three vice-captains we've gone with. um, Taylor Adams, Jeremy Howe and uh, Darcy Moore and and all of them very different um, but all bring different things. So I think um, I'm not even... They're obviously the leaders. They're the the ones at the front of the the line but there's even some other guys coming through that I think are more than capable. So um, it's pretty exciting for the group we've got um, to have a lot of different guys but...
0: Ultimately, it'll probably be one of those three. Uh, just a bit of strength on their strengths because I feel like they're all different type of leaders, aren't they?
1: Yeah, Howie's probably more the um, – and not a knock on any three of them. Howie's a more relatable um, relationships yep. off-field, have a beer with you, but on-field train hard. Tay's a little bit more serious. Um, he doesn't yeah, he, think he is, but he's – He's you know, he's scary. He's, he I, can play very well. He's, on play.
0: he's one of the best blokes. And then you get on field and he is a scary man. And,
1: and again, he makes those around him walk taller because mm. of that. Because he's gonna he's gonna stick up for his mate harder than anyone. So, um, and and Darcy's probably the um, a couple of years younger, and he sort of got a bit more uh, understanding sort of um of some of those younger guys working hard on um a range of different things like his his um, university all that sort of stuff. So he's probably a bit more holistic i guess um seems like a good group like different types and they balance each other out and i think that's the other thing is that you don't want to go you don't want the same person all in the same Mm. because as i said it's not one size fits all you need all different people around
0: yeah um towards the end of your career as you said you cooked you uh, transition out um seemingly from an outside perspective pretty well what was you know your memories and and experience from the first year, sort of out of the game. I know you said you worked with the Storm, with some leadership stuff. Was there anything else you were doing?
1: Yeah, I worked at um, TPF as a business development role so um, I was lucky. I had uh, Rob who, who sort of set me up. I did a bit of part-time the year before so did some BD role with them um, and then I was doing uh, SEN and uh, Channel 7 on weekends and the Storm and then out, out of the first year the Giants sort of came and, and uh, caught up with Leon and went through um, a plan with him and ended up Doing their leadership stuff For two years as well So I was doing them And the Storm And then all the commentary And, uh, and then eventually Sort of Collingwood came calling To come back And yeah mm. we have been there ever since
0: What was it like at the Giants What's your experience And, and memories from up
1: there Yeah I loved it It was um, They were just Great great young group um, I, I thought I sort of felt I, I'd never really Spent much time in Sydney But the sparsity The sparsity of Sydney Sort of hurt a bit Because You could have guys Living three hours away From each other So it's sort of like how do we get a How do we get a beer? How okay. do we get a meal? Sort of like once you come to the club. So, um, and then the other thing was sliding doors. Um, lost the. You know, let me just think of what it was. It was 2016. Yeah, it was the Bulldogs yeah. game yeah, by was- under a goal, and they lost Ruffy, but we lost Wardy who, early on, who was like the heart and soul of the whole team. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty shattering. Uh, and then the next year, we lost to Richmond in the prelim final. Think it was as well yep. um, when, when Dill got, got knocked yep. out yep. early in the first when he was, or late in the first when he was dominating. So, again, there was a couple of sliding doors moments for, for the team and you've got to be at the right place at the right time. You need some luck. Mm. So um, I was sort of a bit disappointed to leave then because I felt like on a bit of a journey and, and weren't far away, but
0: sometimes you can't choose the timing. To finish up, um, we spoke about it earlier and talking about you want to be that player that people love playing with. And I think it's as we've you know covered it a lot today, but that's really um, you know evident in your story that you were one of those players. Like if I played with you, I'd just go fuck. I hope Maxi thinks that you know he can back me and he wants to go to war with me. You know, captaining teams, working with AFL clubs. Can you give us a couple of players that you've worked with where you go? Yeah, I, I love this bloke. Like he's like me. I think I think there's tons of
1: them. And if I've, if I name any teammates, they'll um, they'll lose their shit with me because uh, I didn't because I missed on someone else, but. Um, so I might say other opposition players. Opposition um, players, yeah, for sure. Obviously Hodgie. Um, so I played a bit of Falcons with him, but yep. loves just – and also you love playing against those blokes because they're so combative. And um I remember playing against Glenn Archer a couple of times. And I'm thinking, geez, I would love to play with him because he just made those around him stand tall. Let, let me go the other way as well and, and look at the Storm. I, I look at guys at the Storm and think um, Jesse Brobich, who's, who's the captain now, and um, he was a guy who – he just come charging out with that ball, knowing he's running into four hundred kilos of in three blokes who are going to smash him. But he would put it down, get up, and go again. And Dale Cookham was similar with that. Um, Cameron Smith just for his his calm nature yeah. and the way he controlled the game. Yeah. He was someone who I just yeah obviously admired and loved watching him play. So, um, but then you also also like, like the brilliant part. So you get the brilliance of guys like. Didak and thomas and swan who could just do things that you like, oh. leadership in another way isn't yeah, it? yeah. It was, and it's just it was just lovely it was just i just love seeing them do it and you just start giggling yourself when you you go i could i could have a thousand shots of that and wouldn't have done that and did to do it in one um and then like you storm you'll watch like a billy slater and you just go my god how does he do that and and so for me it was like um i spent some time with um the melbourne stars over one summer doing some work with them and um glenn maxwell's obviously the captain and I'd watch how he batted, but also in his mind, I'd ask him questions after the game from the field and from bowling. Like, so why'd you do this? You thought about this? And he goes, oh, he's he's only good short balls on his leg side. So I want to make sure he had to hit to the long boundary. And then like, mm. to, it probably sounds obvious now, but. Under without, pressure. Yeah, without yeah. him pointing it out. And he knew every one of them. So he'd be saying, bowl it go up to the bowler and say, bowl it here, bowl it here, bowl it here, and just having that almost photographic memory of, I know what this guy wants and this is what, how I'm going to make it hard for him. So um, playing with people like that that are thinking one step ahead is obviously, it means you don't have to. So um, the brilliance is also awesome to play with because I know I couldn't do it.
0: And it's, it's good to watch and it's yeah. entertaining. One thing you mentioned there as well that um, is really something that I'm trying to work on at the moment and always trying to get better at is you know, I suppose it is a form of leadership, but it's that staying calm. I think you said about Cam Smith before. Um, I find that sometimes when like the pressure or situations I can get panicky and you make reactive decisions and it's not always what you wanted to do. Yep. How important do you think is of that is a leader and and had, did you have to work on that or was that something that you were you found was, you know, really focused on throughout your sort of time?
1: Oh, I don't I don't know. It's certainly not natural, I don't think, yeah. to to
0: most. It's um, fucking hard to do. Yeah. But I think it's
1: it's planning and preparation yeah. reviewing and it's it sounds bloody boring, but that's what it is. It's, it's um, coming into a podcast knowing these are questions I want to ask. If he goes this way, I want to go here, I want, like whatever it is, whatever you need to do in your planning um, and your preparation. But then it's also at the end of it reviewing, sort of like, all right, did I get all those points across? Oh, no, I missed that, I miss that. It's sort of actually analysing yourself, and that's probably something that in sport on a Monday we'd review, the leaders would review, the coaches would review, then we'd come together, review together. You're reviewing your line, you review your individual tape and you review the whole team. So there's six reviews taking place effectively every single Monday and then you move on the next game. So as a business person, how often do you review? Yeah, uh, Quarterly, half, like that's usually how it happens. It's not the end of the week or the end of the day. So it's even like take 15 minutes to go, right, what do I have to achieve today? Bang, 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 bang. Like, oh, there's going to be stuff, to will throw that around, but what do I have to achieve And then what's the bonus? What's the cream? And then at the end of the day, taking 10 minutes to go, okay, missed, 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 missed. Because you'll find out it might mean that for the first hour of the day, I'm locking the door and turning my phone off because I can't miss on these six. And then if these ones don't come up, that's okay. But then I can deal with everything else. So Mm. I think that in sport, we're forced to review and in life we don't. So if you actually take the
0: time to go back and look at it, then you can sort of learn those lessons. Oh, for sure. I hated reviewing games it's something that i've like never really done post so it's something that with you know both sams we talk about every week after podcast is i should be really listening back and, and making notes on everything we do max you seem like someone who's definitely not going to slow down um even talking today i'm fucking inspired i'm ready to run through a brick wall what's next for you what do you want to achieve um you know in the second sort of phase of, of your career
1: i'm probably not looking too far ahead mate to be honest i think uh, i've got i've got three kids so um, I'm coaching the under 10s footy team this year so that's going to take some time but I think you just want to give them the best opportunity um, uh, to, to sort of be successful themselves teach them lessons um, and, and help them with their passions uh, and then outside of that I right now immediately I want to help a new coaching group a new staff group um, build something that
0: has longevity uh, and then beyond that we'll see what happens mate it's exciting times for you exciting times for for the pies and everything you're doing we um we honestly can't thank you enough for coming in and sharing your wisdom and i know i've learnt an absolute shitload today so we've just got to put into practice now and (laughs) and go for it but um yeah in all seriousness mate should be so proud of yourself um of what you've been able to achieve and and all the setbacks you've still risen to the top so um that's the main reason we wanted to get you in and share a bit of knowledge so thank you so much appreciate it mate Thanks, thanks brother If that wasn't enough for you and you want even more, you're in luck. Dylan Friends is now on Patreon. Dylan Best Friends. If you'd like to learn more, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Dylan Friends or you can head to the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you liked the show, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, leave a review or even share with your friends. The show is produced by myself and Sam Bonza. Damon Jackman from Creative Edge Films is responsible for audio and visual production. The show is recorded at the Dylan Friends Studio in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch or suggest a guest or advertise with the Dylan Friends podcast, please email us at inquiries at dylanfriends.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.